as we come into God's word, I want to encourage you to think of why we're here. It could be for the singing, it could be for the fellowship, but that's not the right reasons. We're here because the Lord specifically has called us two different things. And if we have a relationship with him, his word clearly shows different things. And I encourage you, as we look into God's word, my heart isn't, it's not Lyle's words. This is God. This is his word right here. And uh, I hope that as we go through this sermon, that we can see a little bit more about God, not about the things that I prepared. We need to have God in view, not ourselves in view, or what we think about who God is. So will you join me in prayer as we uh, go to the word? Jesus, Lord, I just want to give this time to you. Thank you, Lord, that you are good, that you are great, that you are the Lord above all. Lord, I pray that as we come into this time, as we prepare our hearts, that we think of what your word has. Pray that your Holy Spirit will be working in our minds and our hearts, uh, thinking of what we can take away. Lord, I pray it's not my words, but your words, and I pray that as we come into this time, our minds will be focused on you. Lord, you know the hearts. You know our minds, you know what we're wrestling with, what we're thinking with, and I pray for this congregation and the people listening and the people here, that we can give those things to you, that we can actually think about who you are and lay them over to you. Thank you again, Lord, for this opportunity and for who you are in your name, amen. So... I'm not going to be in Ecclesiastes, and we've been through going through Ecclesiastes, and the theme for this series that we've been going through is trivial pursuits, and we've seen in Ecclesiastes with Solomon talking about a couple different things, vanity of vanities, that hevel, that smoke, the wisdom without God at the center. He was seeing everything is useless without God. I can do all these things, but what's the point? Last week, we talked about a time for everything. There's a time for mourning. There's a time for you can name and look at Ecclesiastes 3 and see that there was a time for everything. But the one thing that Solomon kept pointing to was that there was a God in control. And... When we think of trivial pursuits, we can become very complacent and say, yes, those things are trivial, but why? If we're living life in the world, we do not see life that we're living as trivial. We don't see these things that we're doing as trivial. How do we see things as trivial? If we are to see things in our lives as trivial, we have to understand who God is. We have to understand who, what his character says about himself. What are his attributes? What does God show throughout his word to his people? When we see the character of God, it changes our view of me, of you, and the things I do. 
to look at this point of view of looking at God's character, we have to draw attention to him. We can't just be like, yeah, he's over there. We have to actually make an effort and see who God is. We have to acknowledge who God is. J.I. Packer um, said this, the character of God is today and always will be exactly what it was in Bible times. What God says in his word will not change. He is today, tomorrow, and forever. Today we're going to be in Psalms 135. And we're going to be looking at God's character. And who God says he is. In Psalms 135, the psalmist wants us to draw attention to who God is and his work. The psalmist draws out in this passage that the Lord deserves praise and attention. The psalmist, isn't, uh, the psalmist is calling attention to who God is. So will you open up to Psalms 135 with me as we read God's word? Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise him, O the servants of the Lord, you who stand in the house of the Lord. In the courts of the house of our God, praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to his name, for it is lovely. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his own possession. For I know that the Lord is great. And that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and in earth. In the seas and in all the deeps. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. Who makes lightnings for the rain. Who brings forth the wind from his treasuries. He smote the firstborn of Egypt. Both of man and beast. He sent signs and wonders into your midst, O Egypt. Upon Pharaoh and all his servants, he smote many nations and slew mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan. And he gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his people. Your name, O Lord, is everlasting. Your remembrance, O Lord, throughout all the generations For the Lord will judge his people and will have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are but silver and gold. The work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath at all in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them. Yes, everyone who trusts in them. O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who revere the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord from Zion, who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Lord, I pray that as we just read your word, that you make it alive, that you make it active and living, and I pray, Lord, that you will be honored in this time. In your name, amen. 
One of the things I wanted to do as we just read Psalms 135 is we're going to break it down. And so what we see first is there is a call for praise to the Lord. And you see these in verses 1 through 2 and pretty much the whole chapter. Uh, Praise the Lord, praise the name of the Lord, praise him, O the servants of the Lord, you who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. But then as the chapter continues, we also see um, that there are causes for praise. And some causes for praise is God's character, his greatness, or his goodness. And you see that of praise the Lord for the Lord is good. Sing praises to the name for it is lovely. We also see in verse 4 that God's choice of Jacob his love and compassion. We see his love and compassion for his people. He specifically set apart Israel and Jacob for a reason to use them. Now we also see in verses 5 through 7 God's greatness and power in creation. And we see that when, for I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all the deeps. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth, who makes lightning for the rain. I'm just saying, I can't control the weather. We can't control the weather. We can even see that of, we have people predict the weather in Washington, and they're wrong most of the time. (laughs) But God controls the weather. You see God's greatness and his power working in creation. We see in verses 8 through 12, God's judgment and deliverance of Israel. You see it working through bringing them out of Egypt. If you didn't know the plagues, the working of let my people go, but then also delivering Israel from all these mighty kings and forces. God was working and delivering his people. Then we see God's unchanging character and compassion through judgment. And we'll hit this one a little bit more, but you see, your name, O Lord, is everlasting. Your remembrance, O Lord, throughout all the generations. He does not change. He's been there working the same that he's always been. And also, he has compassion through his judgment, through the hard loving. You see that Israel would mess up and he'd bring judgment but then he would still keep working in their lives. And then verses 15 to 18, we see God's unique nature. It's active and living. It's not like all the other gods that people were putting their trust in. They had idols. They had things that they were worshiping, the same that we do. We may not have an idol that's made of silver and gold, But it's the things that we put more priority to. Maybe the money. Maybe our support, what's that word? The level of, you know, where we're at. Of where do people view us. And you can have a list of the things that we put importance on. And lastly, we see a call for blessing in the last verses. And we'll touch a little bit more about 
praise and blessing and what that looks like. But as we look at these kind of how it's broke apart, I have a couple questions that I think we should ask ourselves. And why is the psalmist calling for praise for who God is? Or another way of saying this, why is the psalmist calling for praise on the basis of God's character? Of who he says he is? And if we think about it, it's because the psalmist sees God's attributes. He saw God working. He saw his character, and thus, if we break it down, he saw his sovereignty. Now, sovereignty is defined as supreme power or authority. And we see God's power and authority spoken throughout the whole word of God. You see it in creation. You see it in Egypt. You see it even in Jesus' life. And God's sovereignty is important. And as Rob was reading in 1 Chronicles 29, if we look back at 11, verse 11 and 12, it says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and victory and majesty. For all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and give strength to all. David saw that about God because of what God was doing in David's life. You could also jump over to Job 42 too. And Job saw this of, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. So how does Job... How does David get to this point of where they see God is sovereign? God is working. This is who God is. We can say God is sovereign, but do we actually recognize that? Do we actually show that in our actions? Do we actually say, yes, Lord, you have the supreme power or authority? And we can say that, but do we actually realize what that means? And so a question is, you know, so where do we go wrong with acknowledging God's sovereignty? R.C. Sproul says it best when he goes, Most Christians salute the sovereignty of God, but believe in the sovereignty of man. They say, yeah, God's sovereign. But hey, I got control. We as humans do not have the attributes that God has. Yet we like to trust in man more than we do God. Except we know we can rely on him to always be this way towards us when we trust in God. When we look at God's sovereignty and who he is, we can trust in what he's doing. And so to look at God's sovereignty, there was four, five Ps sorry, that I draw out of Psalms 135 that tell us a little bit about God's sovereignty. And the first one is we see God's power. If we look in verses 4 through 12, and we see, For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself 
Israel for his own possession. And when you look at the creation and you look at how he defeated many nations, he was working. Other nations knew God and they were scared of the living and active God because of what he has done for the Israelites. They were set apart. Now, when it says God is great, the Hebrew word for great in that is gadol. Um, I'm probably saying it wrong. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I'm sorry for those Hebrew scholars out there. Um, but what that Hebrew mer- word means is strong, mighty. He's set apart. He has authority. He's strong, mighty. He has the ability to do what he wants above all other gods, above what other people were thinking. And in Matthew 19, 23 to 26, Matthew records what Jesus said to his disciples, which I think is important for us to think when we're thinking about God's power. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were astonished and said, Then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. When we focus on God's power, We see it's not in my own ability, my own how I perceive something. It's through God's work. The disciples were focusing on, okay, so it's so difficult, how do we get there? And the Lord's saying, with people, you're going to fail. Your problem is sin. But my power, by what I'm doing, I'm making it possible. And so with God's attributes in view, when we see God's power, when we recognize God's power, it's going to change how we come into a situation. If I know God is in control, then why am I trying to do it on my own strength? If I know God's powerful enough to create the world, (laughs) why am I doing the stuff I'm doing? We need to think about what God's attributes say about himself and how I'm living my life. The second P that we see is we see God's provision. And we see that he worked out of love for his chosen people. He set them apart. But also, he worked in their lives. You see that in Egypt. You saw that with the plagues of sending Moses and Aaron of let my people go. You saw it when he sent the great cloud and provided for them a safe passage. He kept them safe. You even saw that in the wilderness. He gave them food. He gave them sustenance. He also provided them his word. He also provided them a way to see who he was. We also see, you can take it simply and look at Solomon and David. How did he provide for them? 
How did David come to a point where he was praising the Lord? God had so much provision in his life to take him and keep him safe. Same with Solomon. John Piper said, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. And you may only be aware of three of them. Did you hear that? God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you be, be aware of only three of them. So if I think of God's provision, if I know God's going to provide, what is that going to do to my actions? If I'm thinking God provides, I can see that in David's life, Solomon's life, the Israelite's life. Why do I worry about what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to drink? about these trivial things. They're trivial because we see God works. That doesn't mean I need to be stupid and dumb and just run in headlong into it. I need to know God's the one in control and be smart about what I'm doing. The third P that we see is we see God's protection. And it's Kind of very similar to provision where God was providing different things for Israel. But also he protected Israel in many different things with the great nations, with Egypt. But I think his ultimate protection comes in verse 14. Protection from ourselves and from sin. Yes, he provided his son, but... The line that kept standing out to me in verse 14 is, For the Lord will judge his people... And we'll have compassion on his servants. It doesn't say we get a pass card and he loves us very much. He has judgment on his people. He's a just God. And because of our sin, he looks at that and knows that. And he's going to provide the tough love. And it's through love that he does this. A passage that I want to bring up is uh, Psalms 3. And we're talking about Solomon and Ecclesiastes, but also David. David brings out a point about how the Lord's protection is both a physical and a mental thing. So you can read along as I read Psalms 3. Lord, how my enemies have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God, Selah. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. I was crying out to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I awoke. For the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, Lord, save me, my God. For you have struck all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessings be upon your people. Selah. As David was talking through the Psalms, you see some couple things. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. 
my glory and the one who lifts my head. His view of God as the protector shows that he was fully trusting in the Lord was going to provide in each situation. And it shows when he was doing the mundane things or moving around, I lay down and slept, I awake, for the Lord sustains me. It shows that mental shift of he was seeing, you know, the Lord's power, the Lord's provision, the Lord's protecting me, when everything's going awry. And I think when we look at God's protection, we can focus too much on all the stuff going around in the world around us, especially now. We can focus on the riots, on the unrest, on what people are saying. But do we actually recognize God's power? God's provision, God's protection in each of our lives and what he's doing in that. The fourth P that we see is, uh, you may be surprised, I know big words, is we see God's preeminence. Now some of you may be wondering, what is preeminence? And it's the fact of surpassing all others. Superiority. Remember, sovereignty, supreme power, and authority. Preeminence is the fact of surpassing all and the superiority of that. And one of the things I want to do is I love this chapter because it breaks it down for us. It has idols and it has God. And it compares both, and I think it's important for us to see this difference. Now, when it says idols, it was very specific, and it said gold and silver, the work of man. Idols today, yes, they can be man-made, but also it's man-made in the way of where is our priority? Is it in the reputation? Is it in the money? Is it in the standard? Is it in what I do, sports? You can put so much into what an idol is. And so that's what I want us to think about. This is gold and silver, the work of man. Now we contrast that to who God is. And he is timeless and existed before time, not created. And what I did in your notes is I have references. I'm not going to read them all because then we might be here till 1 o'clock. But they are very juicy to what the Lord is saying to our lives. And I challenge you to look up these passages and see, okay, if God is timeless, what does his word say about who he is? And I'm going to highlight Genesis 1.1. Because if you read it, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning. Shows that God was already there. He was timeless and existed before everything. The next thing about idols is they have mouths but do not speak. We see that God speaks to us. He speaks to where we are at. And we see that to Jeremiah 33, 3. Says it best when it says... 
Call to me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. The Lord, this was to Israel, and the Lord specifically said, hey, call to me, and I will answer you. He does the same to us, and we can see that in different passages and different times. David, Solomon, Job, when they called out to the Lord, he answered in different ways. He speaks to us. He speaks to us with his word, with the truth that he has in it. Next thing about idols is they have eyes and do not see. God sees us where we're at. He sees our hearts. And when Israel wanted its first king, God said something profound that shows how God sees. And in 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at the appearance or at the height or his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God knows our hearts. God knows our concerns, our wants, our desires. And he wants us to know that he's there and he wants to work in those. Idols, they have ears and do not hear is the next one. And God hears us. God answers us. God sees us where we're at. But also, God hears us. And we see that in 1 John 5, 14. Where it says this. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. God's saying in his word that he knows where we're at. He hears us. He's not just this guy up in heaven, powerful, mighty, he's there. And we need to worship him. He's working in our lives. He wants to direct us. Jesus shows us that example of where he was in constant prayer with the Lord. Even though he was the son of God, also the son of man, he prayed constantly and listen to the Lord's instruction and to his will. God hears us. So it's important for us to think of, am I actually talking to him? If he sees me where I'm at, to actually say, hey Lord, I need help in this. One more thing about idols is they have no breath in their lungs. And if we look at God, we see that he is living and active. He is constantly working. I love the Old Testament, if you didn't see with all the passages that I'm bringing up. But in Genesis 2, 7, 
It says, Then the Lord God formed man out of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. It also shows that his word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so if we look at God as living and active, he's constantly working. He's giving us the ability. He gave us breath. And if we compare idols versus God, we see that the things I do are kind of trivial. If I put my faith in all these things that man-made, that are going to fail, that they don't hear me, they don't really speak. They may speak to my wants and my desires, but that's not really speaking. That's me speaking to myself to convince me that these things are good. They're just there. But we see God is constantly working and wants a relationship with us. So if we think of God's preeminence and how he is above all other gods, it's going to put things in perspective and think, then what am I trusting in? What am I doing? And the last P that we see in this passage is we see God deserves praise. This chapter says it a lot. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise him, O the servants of the Lord. It's throughout this whole chapter. And this chapter is the Psalms of Praise. We could go throughout the Bible. You could hit 2 Samuel 22.4. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Psalms 96.4. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Psalms 156, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Okay, we see God deserves praise, but what's the point? If, why am I praising the Lord? The psalmist did something important here of, he showed praise the Lord, but he also gave a core of like, you know, Sing it in songs as well. So he gave a difference of praising the Lord is not just singing as well. The psalmist called a praise was he wants you to acknowledge who the Lord is. And also bless, I think is important because it's in that context of praising. If we look at the word bless, the Hebrew word is barak. And what it means is to bless, to kneel before. So when he says, O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Israel, kneel before the Lord. O house of Aaron, kneel before the Lord. O house of Levi, kneel before the Lord. You who revere the Lord, kneel before the Lord. It's nothing I bring to the table. We have to be in full submittance to who the Lord is. That praise is not the songs I sing. Not 
the good things I do in church, it's actually giving credit to who he is. It's recognizing his power, his provision, his protection, his preeminence. We praise the Lord because it allows us to focus on the Lord and not ourselves. When we praise the Lord in song and action, we see him working and we get out of the way. Charles Spurgeon, an old preacher, older than Pastor Ralph over there, (laughs) says, whenever we have praise to God, what do we do? We simply say what he is. You are this and you are that. There is no other praise. We cannot fetch anything from anything else and bring it to God. The praises of God are simply the facts about himself. If you want to praise the Lord Jesus Christ, tell the people about him. We have become so manufactured in the way that we praise the Lord. In the way that we do church. In the way that we see our relationship with Christ. And if we have God's sovereignty in view, what's the point? And some questions I want to give us is, how do I call attention to the Lord and who he is? And when I call attention to the Lord, what does it do? And the point is, we see so many things in our lives that are good, that we like doing. But to see things as trivial, we need to compare it to who the Lord is. We saw last time, uh, last week, a time for everything. We have that in view because God is control of time. And I think the importance with looking at God and his attributes in view, we need to be aware of who we are. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs 19.21 Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And I think it's important when we don't have God's attributes in view, I live my life. I do the things I want. Lyle is the center. You can put your name where I put my name. And I do my wants, my desires. But one thing that maybe we should think about is are we eternal? Are we going to last forever? We can see that our bodies change as we get older. And I'm going to tell you, it's not for the good. (laughs) It doesn't always get better. There's decay. There's hard things that happen. When we're at the center, it puts the focus on me and I stray away. I don't acknowledge who the Lord is. 
But when we start calling attention to who the Lord is and praising him for who he is and his character, it gets my wants out of the way and puts the Lord at the center. When I draw close to the Lord and see his traits, it allows for me to see I need to work on something. When we look at God and we see his power, provision, protection, preeminence, we see that he deserves praise, I see, oh, I'm not really living for the Lord right now. Or I see, you know, if he is powerful and in control of time, why do I worry about these things? And when we start calling attention and praising the Lord, it starts to change my wants and my desires. And that's why I start to see the things in my life as trivial. We're not going to see things as trivial if we keep looking with our glasses. We need to put on the Lord and look through his eyes of what's going on. We need to see what he says about himself. And for that to power us through. If he is a just God, if he is a merciful God, if he is a compassionate and loving God, if he is a God that is all-powerful, you can keep going through his attributes. What does it say in my life? And am I actually showing that in my life? It's going to start changing of, hey, maybe I need to do this. Maybe I need to do that. And it's not... Lyle saying, I need to do this, I need to do that. It's because I'm seeing the Lord, and the Lord is working in that. The Lord does the work. And I think that's the important thing. When I call attention to what the Lord, to the Lord, what does it do? It allows Him to work. Not for me to work, for the Lord to work. When we praise Him and genuinely, genu- genuinely praise Him, We get out of the way. God is at the center. I want to close with a quote from John Piper. And it says this. James warns against pride, a presumption in speaking of the simplest plans in life without a due submission to the overarching sovereignty of God over the day's agenda. Man's plan might be interrupted by God's decision to take that life he gave. When we think of God's sovereignty, we think of God's attributes and view. The challenge is, where's our heart? Is it in full submittance? Giving the credit to who the Lord is, to what he's doing, to what he has done. Psalms 135 points that out continually. And that is the prayer and hope of as we look at God's attributes, what are we focusing on? Are we giving Him the credit? Are we giving Him the acknowledgement that He is above everything else?
Would you join me with prayer as we end this time? Jesus, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that as we look into your word, we see that it's about you. You are the one in control. And you are the one working, and you've worked in constantly in so many different people's lives throughout your word, and we can see it in our lives, Lord. Lord, I pray for the people that are wrestling with things of what your sovereignty looks in their lives, Lord. I, I pray that you make known that we need to surrender and kneel before you. We need to constantly give things over to you. It's not a one and done. It's a daily. It's a daily coming before you and recognizing who you are day by day. Lord, I pray for the people that don't know who you are or don't know fully who you are. I pray that you speak to them where they're at right now. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit convicts them. Convicts us. Convicts us in the areas that we need to give to you. Lord, I pray that as we go out, that it just won't be, hey, I learned something good at Sunday. I pray we actually think about your attributes in view, what you're doing, and live it out. Thank you again for who you are, Lord. Now we can trust in you, in your name. Amen.